Are you willing to put aside all speculation and announce to the people here that you are not running in 2020? No. Overall, wages are down. People are working longer hours for less money. Illegal immigrants. African Americans uh, being mistreated in society. Noting that world leaders laughed at President Trump. Amendment Thanks right. to the witch hunt. Trade war. You know what it is? My new slogan, 2020. Keep America great. Hello, and thank you for joining us for another episode of 2020 Vision, our first since returning from a little break in August to prep for what's sure to be a busy 14 months before we reach the US presidential election in November next year. We've had a climate change town hall and a third presidential primary debate for Democrats in our absence. So before we meet this week's guest, here's a bit of a refresher to catch you up. My campaign will now give a freedom dividend of $1,000 a month for an entire year to 10 American families. You are a vegan since 2014. Should more Americans follow your diet? <laughs> um, you know, first of all, I want to say no. I, actually, I want to translate that into Spanish. No. Um, <laughs> and one of the big differences between you and me, I never believed what Cheney and Bush said about Iraq. The mass shootings are terrible but they got all the headlines. Children die every day on streets, in neighborhoods, on playgrounds. Year after year, I had an F rating from the NRA. So background checks and gun licensing, these are agreed to by overwhelmingly the majority of Americans. I was the first person to come out for gun licensing. Hell yes, we're gonna take your AR-15, your AK-47. A system right now that cannot tell the difference in the threat posed by a terrorist, a criminal, and a 12-year-old girl is not a system that is keeping us safer. Not have to buy in. You just said that. You just said that two minutes ago. You just said two minutes ago that they would have to buy in. You said they would have to buy in. to buy in. If she qualifies for Are you forgetting what you said two minutes ago? You said just two minutes ago? I mean, I can't believe that you said two minutes ago that they had to buy in, and now you're saying they don't have to buy. You're forgetting I mean, that. He wants to take credit for Obama's work, but not have to answer to any questions. I stand with Barack Obama all eight years, good, bad, and indifferent. That's where I stand. David Schlossberg is a Professor of Environmental Politics in the Department of Government and International Relations at the University of Sydney and the Director of the Sydney Environment Institute. He's known internationally for his work in environmental politics, environmental movements and political theory. And he joins us now. David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for having me. Climate change obviously isn't a new issue in politics and elections, but thinking about the 2020 campaign and events like the Australian federal election this year, would it be right to say that this topic has received increased attention in 2019? perhaps more than political commentators and politicians were expecting? So clearly the attention has been massive and growing, but I, I don't know if I'd say it's unexpected. Uh, ignoring the problem for decades, you would think, would be unexpected. So actually talking about something that's having an immediate impact, uh, I think yeah, that shouldn't be all that unexpected. Right now, I think what we're seeing is one of those sort of perfect storm scenarios where we have a whole set of movement groups from Greta's school strike to the incredibly diverse Sunrise Movement in the U.S. And then we have a major candidate who dedicated his campaign to the single issue. 
And then you have the continuing sort of absolute and absurd denialism on the right and a real growing frustration with the do-nothing approach. Not that that really mattered all that much in our election here, yes. but that is certainly some uh, set of explanations for the, 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 the growth of the interest in the U.S. Democratic presidential hopefuls took part in a CNN town hall last week specifically on climate change. Do you think that the event itself was evidence that this issue has really risen up the ranks of concern in the United States, almost on par, I guess, with, with something like healthcare policy, for example? I think, yes. And I think the way that it happened um, as well. So the Democrats clearly as an organization didn't want to do it. Right. right. The DNC uh, just denied they wanted to do it. Uh, and I think it really exposes some of the differences between the sort of old school Clintonista and Obama wings on the one hand and the loud and growing progressive wing uh, on the other. So maybe not among the, uh, uh, you know, the official Democratic Party, but certainly among among Democrats and progressives, it's it's a key issue, certainly on par with things like healthcare and other questions of social policy and public good. So much so, obviously, that CNN turned to that full seven-hour town hall. Yes, yeah, and very early on in the primary uh, yeah. debate schedule as well. But in response to that demand and in response to the denial of the DNC. Senator Bernie Sanders seems to be the yardstick for judging a lot of proposals by other Democratic candidates at the moment. He certainly seems to have the largest price tag attached to his climate plan. Have you seen anything from other candidates that struck you as particularly innovative or unique from things like the fossil fuel taxes that we're used to seeing? For me, the best plans get at a multi-pronged approach. So you've got the emissions reduction stuff on one side, adaptation and resilience planning on the other, and some sort of tie to a range of other issues and policies. And I, I don't think we talk about this enough, that the best climate policy is one that connects to other policies, that connects to industrial and job creation policies, to housing quality and creation policies, even security and defense policies. Right? So Sanders, you know, one of the things he's done recently is to talk about the ability to uh, save money and lives by just you know, ending the protection of oil shipping lanes. He's also talked about the efficiency of investing in renewables for the military to uh, avoid the risks of energy supply lines in battle, for example. So there's that sort of connectivity I think that's uh, important. So you've got Warren linking climate policy with policies to decrease the influence of money in politics. That's fairly bold. Castro and Booker, I think, have done the best to link with racial discrimination, environmental justice, climate refugees. Um, I think other bold approaches... Um, I mean, I have mixed feelings about it, but both, uh, you know, Beto on the one hand and Yang have talked about retreating from the coastlines. They've they've brought that. I don't know if I'd call it a defeatism so much as a as a reality check. At the very least, we should be talking about retreat. We should be thinking about long term plans and what our tipping points would be to put to uh, put such plans into practice. Um, it's fun. I, I mean, it's become fun to watch the the sort of one upmanship. It seems like the play now, especially. Um, uh, you know, in the past few weeks has been to have the best and the strongest policy um, rather than something in the middle that uh, appeals to Republicans, which is what Obama tried to do, which sure. obviously failed and Biden seems to want to replicate. But I do want to say I think there are some really problematic suggestions out there, uh, increasing nuclear, which is highly problematic, adopting geoengineering as, as uh, Yang has offered. Um, I mean, nuclear in the U.S. is really touchy. Um, well, I mean, my experience has been in the American Southwest where the entire nuclear cycle has an impact on Native American nations um, from the digging up uh, of uranium to the disposal of waste. And so until you can actually 
sort of come up with some sort of solution for that, um, there's going to be that ongoing impact. And geoengineering in, in, in that same sort of environmental justice approach, it just has unknown but obviously unequal impacts. So that's um, that's problematic. I think the other thing that strikes me about the the, the boldness or lack of boldness is Biden's refusal uh, to talk about yeah. banning fracking. Uh, I mean, we know, and this is the difference between a decade ago and no, we know that fugitive methane emissions from natural gas is much higher than we earlier understood. That's a huge problem. And this, th this previous idea that natural gas is a bridge fuel or better than other fossil fuels, it's dated and it's dangerous. And to see him hold on to that idea, uh, I think is problematic. So yeah, some, some bold ideas, some not so bold ideas. Uh, you touched on this a little earlier, um, discussing the CNN town hall, but has a strong showing by the progressive wing of the Democratic Party among the primary candidates got a lot to do with why we are seeing this rise as a top tier issue in 2020, do you think? This is why I'm enjoying the show from afar, <laughs> okay. right? I mean, I've done a lot of work on environmental movements and, um, uh, you know, in that side of, of environmental politics. And it's, the issue is clearly energizing youth. It's clearly energizing progressives. It's a core issue for the progressive wing. And it's not just that, but it's clear that there's a, a continuing and, and um, a growing hesitance um, for this sort of bold action in the mainstream or the old school Democratic Party, and hence the denial of the debate and Biden's attempts to, uh, what did he call it, a, you know, to develop a middle ground, which really um, doesn't exist and which was immediately attacked by progressives as old uh, and weak. I think in the past, while anyone who identified as Democrat would still vote for any Democrat, we're now starting to see some choice, right? And we're starting to see some primarying of lackluster climate uh, Democrats in the House and Senate by Justice Democrats, supported by the Sunrise Movement. And I, I you know, I, I don't have the data on this. It'd be a great study to do, but it seems like, especially among youth, the impatience with hypocrisy is really growing. Um, Saying that this is a real problem without having a bold plan is a problem. Worse, protecting the fossil fuel industry, continuing to protect the fossil fuel industry or business as usual uh, is problematic. And now there's a, there is a clear and powerful movement and a clear and powerful wing of the party that's interested uh, in such, such action. And I think it's really just getting started. What about the role of activist groups on this issue? Do you think they've played a role or a significant role in, in what we're seeing in terms of, sort of polling, the, the way that this issue is sort of rating of high, uh, in high importance to a lot of, uh, of voters? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we wouldn't be having these climate forums without the Sunrise Movement. It just, it, it wouldn't be on the agenda. Um, but this isn't a new thing. I mean, this is the culmination of a lot of work over a lot of years uh, of people in the climate movement, including activists of color. Right? The Black Congressional Caucus has been pushing uh, about and pointing out the unequal impacts of climate change from even before Katrina. The, EJ, the environmental justice movement has been doing this for 30 years, focusing on the inequity of impacts of climate change and the need to change practice and to empower communities. So there's there's been a lot of focus recently on the new movements and on, you know, on Greta and the school strikes, but there's been youth activism in the U.S. on climate for two to three decades. They're being joined by millions more school kids now and the impatience is growing. And I think it's important to note, and, and you know, there's a media angle here as well. In addition to the movements and the power of the movements, there's the replication of this uh, in social media and um, the, the influence of climate Twitter, I think. Uh, has really shown itself this year. Scientists like Michael Mann, of course, but Kate Marvel, Catherine Hayhoe, 
policy analyst like Leah Stokes, who's my sort of go-to, she's a political scientist at UC Berkeley, Rihanna Gunwright, um, and the incomparable Mary Hagler, who's just been doing more and more and getting more and more attention uh, for her perspective. So I think that's really energized uh, social movements. Social movements have energized that sort of climate Twitter. And there really is, again, a different kind of perfect storm going on there. The so-called Green New Deal proposal in the United States, championed by first-term Democrat Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, looks like it will be broken up at this stage and, and move forward in pieces. How likely do you think it is that we'll see any success in US Congress with its measures on things like electric cars and cur- uh, curbing carbon emissions? None. Right. Okay. Zero. Okay. Nothing Nothing will get through Congress. Nothing. I mean, Democrats will pass bits and pieces. That's fine. They'll be ignored by the Senate. They won't be picked up uh, at all. Not even proposals that focus solely on job creation or even stuff like just transition for coal workers or other in the fo- others in the uh, fossil fuel economy. I think the whole point going forward will be the game of pointing out what the Republicans aren't doing. So what's languishing in the Senate? What has been done uh, by the Democrats and what what isn't being picked up, what's being ignored, similar to the gun laws that have passed in the House. Um, and the other side of this is that any Democratic presidential candidate and any Democratic presidential administration is going to have to focus, as Obama did, on what can be done in the executive. So Congress, as long as there is uh, uh, you know a split in the houses, nothing, nothing will get done. Thinking about some of the extreme weather events in recent weeks, like Hurricane Dorian, we certainly saw President Trump obsessing over it for other reasons. But do you think events like that play into the debate over climate change or at least the public's awareness or perception of its dangers? Well, they do and they have to. But how those events impact public discourse to me is crucial. So we've seen this week a major reaction against Jonathan Franzen's piece uh, in The New Yorker which is being seen as a piece of climate defeatism. And it's interesting, the timing of it immediately after the hurricane. I think the piece is totally coherent and it's problematic for a whole bunch of reasons, but it does show that there is a part of the left of the Democratic Party in the US that seems to fully understand the implications of climate change, but just wants to throw up its hands. Um, You know, say we're screwed, say there's nothing we can do and start building walls to protect the rich and their own houses. And that's certainly how Franson uh, came across. The reality, I mean, the obvious reality and the obvious response to that kind of approach is that climate change is literally about degrees of impact, right? The whole point of the IPCC's 1.5 degree report last year was to point out the difference between one and a half and two degrees of change. Right. Right. We know what the causes are. We know what we need to do to slow down climate change. We know we have the necessary technology. We know we have the funding. The reality is that two degrees is a political choice. Three degrees is a political choice. Four degrees is a political choice. Not acting is a climate policy, right? And a climate policy that is dedicated to short-term profits for a single industry. So if Franson wants to give up, declare doom, and just protect his own stuff, um, I mean, a lot of scenarios of doing nothing mean that's just absolute fantasy. Uh, And... I do think there's a necessity to make a connection to those kinds of storms, those kinds of events, those kinds of displacements, um, but certainly not in the way that's being done. 
I think it's fair to say the current administration doesn't see environmental issues like climate change as a top-tier issue. Uh, how do you see this playing out next year when the Democrats have their nominee? You know, so the debates with the president are starting. Uh, does, it, does it cease being an issue if one candidate just refuses to engage? Is this only an issue for the Democratic Party? I think it's going to be just an issue for the Democratic Party. But I, I kind of tie this question in with a, the last one about storms and the experience. One of the lessons, if not the lesson from Australia, the lesson from the recent election, is that the Democrats shouldn't just pitch some vague policies like green jobs or emissions controls. Climate policy needs to be pitched at the level of everyday experience, everyday impact. So talk about the differences between one and a half and two degrees in each state, in each district, right? What's happening in each of these places that people can already see? Talk about specific policies that address that, including jobs, including doing things like paying people to weatherize houses or install major solar or wind, right? Talk about building resilience along rivers or uh, ocean fronts. Talk about helping farmers learn about drought-resistant crops, about, um, you know, shading urban heat islands. Talk about things that make a difference in everyday life. And this is where this the, the discussion is going to be. I mean, Warren's, Warren's comment last week I thought was really interesting where she said the fossil fuel industry wants everybody to be talking about taking away burgers and cars, right? The same, the exact same kind of attacks that we saw on vegans and electric vehicles here during the Australian campaign. Those are not real issues, right? And don't waste time in the box that's framed by deniers. And layers. That's sort of my my free <laughs> my free advice to Democratic candidates. Uh, but you do that in the face of the obstinance and the denial and the and the delay uh, of the right in the U.S. David, thank you so much for your insights today. Thanks for having me. Thanks also this week to the Babamara Brass Band, Ketza and D. Yun Key for their musical contributions, and to the University of Sydney's Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences for their studio assistance. 